I don't know who arranged this order of service, but I'm to follow that? Come on. Come on. Well, let me say congratulations again uh, to you as a church family. Congratulations, 20 years. Uh, out of 200 plus years, 10% of that has been dedicated to following one leader. And that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And congratulations, Eric, to you and Edie and to all the family. And let me say to all of you what a privilege it is and what an honor it is for me to be asked to preach. Uh, you saw on those videos Ken Hemphill, former pastor here, great preacher, has a love for the church, Eric and Edie and the family. Uh, Dr. Ronnie Floyd. Uh, Ronnie's, uh, we've known each other for years. He would, have been, he would have been excited beyond description to be here to preach. Kevin Ezell, I thought he was going to preach there for a few minutes. <laughs> and for me to have this honor, it is an honor for me to be able to do this. And you need to be praying that I will get through this the way that I have uh, intended to do so. It's a, it's, a, it's a joy for us to be here and for uh, Jan and I to have this opportunity to join with you in the celebration of a 20th anniversary for a pastor. Uh, it's really a milestone. It's hallmark. And we are honored, Jen and I are honored, we're thankful, <clears throat> and we're humbled to be here, quite honestly. Uh, when I was asked to do this, uh, I really began to think about what I was going to do. I, one of the things I could not do was go back through my repertoire of sermons that I preached over the past umpteen years and find one that just as a sermon that I could come and preach because... Most of them did not fit the occasion. So that left me with the challenge of developing a message for this occasion. And as I began to think, I thought about it, I prayed. I, I wanted it to be right. I wanted it to be good for you as a church. I wanted it to honor Eric and Edie and the family. And I wanted it to be one that would really magnify the Lord. And how do you do that? Uh, I was asking myself this question. How do I do that? As I thought about it and prayed about it, I was taken to a word. And that word is the word celebrate. Celebrate. And uh, I began to look through scripture about celebration. And as I did... I discovered that many, many passages, many, many texts that focused on celebration, like Psalm 95 is one that's a psalm of great celebration. And he, I said, the psalmist says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with sobs. Now, you notice I read that. If it had been Eric, he would have quoted it. It's really embarrassing. But it's not the first time he's embarrassed me. <laughs> and so I move from the psalmist in the Psalms to the New Testament in Jesus. Jesus was encountered by some snarky people. That's encouraging to all of us in ministry. These snarky people, they were cynics. They were saying bad things about Jesus. And they didn't want him to be happy. They wanted him to be miserable. And so Jesus tells three parables. He tells a parable of a lost sheep. He tells a parable of a lost coin. He tells a parable of a lost son. And in each instance, the sheep was found, the coin was found, and the boy came home. Now, here's the interesting thing. Don't miss this. In each instance, Jesus said that the guy who lost the sheep and went and found it, he said, I found my sheep. Everybody, come on, we're going to celebrate. The woman who lost the coin, she said, now I found my coin. Everybody, come on, we're going to celebrate. And the lost son who returned, and there was a member of the family, this elder brother, you remember him? He, he didn't want to celebrate. He stood off, and, and he had this snarky same attitude as that religious group of leaders had. And the dad said, come on, come on, son, come on. Let's celebrate, let's celebrate. And the point of all three parables was this, not only that the sheep was found, not only that the coin was found, not only that the son returned home, but in each instance, Jesus said, let's celebrate. And I thought to myself, that's what God wants us to do. God, listen to me, God is a God of celebration. He's a God of celebration. And if you don't think so, just look at the festivals that he gave to Israel. And today I choose two of those festivals, sort of as references for us in our conversation this morning. One of them is the Passover. You say, why the Passover? Because it was a great celebration. People traveled from all over the Greco-Roman world to come to Jerusalem in order to celebrate. They were there to celebrate. God gave instructions every year. You are to come together to celebrate. And then the next one is Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. There's Pentecost. What are you doing at Pentecost? You are celebrating. What are you celebrating? You're celebrating the harvest. One is a celebration in reflection. The other is a celebration in anticipation. This morning, we're going to focus on what has been a little bit, and we're going to focus on what is going to be. Celebrate. Here's a, I was asked, what's the title of your message? 
What's the theme? My message this morning is First Baptist Church, Norfolk, Virginia, 200 years. It is time. It is appropriate. It's a good thing for you to celebrate. It's time to celebrate. You see, celebration has an attraction to it. Celebration has an attraction to it. And we're going to talk about why you celebrate. Here, first, Passover. Passover was a celebration of what had been done. Not something it was going to be, but something that had been done. What had been done? The nation of Israel had been in captivity, in bondage, in bondage in Egypt. And through the Passover, they were liberated. And then God said to them in Exodus, every year, every year, you are to celebrate your deliverance. You are to celebrate what has been done. Jesus and his followers came together and they celebrated the Passover. Matter of fact, listen to this. On the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, they had unleavened bread. There's a long history to all of this, but we don't have hours for me to get into all of the things that I love to study. But the reality is that they did not have time to leaven the bread. And so the bread was unleavened when the God delivered them from Egypt. And so every, every year on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, listen to this. This is so random. This is so bizarre. Go into the city and say to a certain man, what man? A certain man. You say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover, and then they celebrated the Passover. Go into the city to a certain man and tell him that the teacher says, the master, the rabbi said, we're going to have the Passover, the Seder meal, we're going to have it at your house. And so they did. Passover. Jesus and his followers, thousands of years after the initial Passover meal occurred. Jesus and his followers gathered together to celebrate what God had done in the Passover. And then, as they anticipated the future, get this. They had not only the Passover meal, but they had the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, Pentecost is a Greek from the Greek. 50 days, 50 days, seven weeks. It's also called the week, the feast of weeks because it celebrated the harvest, barley harvest, 
wheat harvest. They were celebrating. And when the day of Pentecost, listen, they celebrated the harvest. Don't miss that. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire. One set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Celebrating harvest, wheat and barley. But here's another harvest. Get this. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, He saved us from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. Harvest, harvest, anticipation, expectation, harvest, Acts 2. Here's what I want to say. It is time to celebrate. We're to celebrate what God has done, Passover. We're to celebrate what God is going to do, Pentecost. Could I bring it home to you as a church? Philip has already, I, I don't know, I, th I think he checked my notes out that I sent over and used them and, and took half of my message this morning. <laughs> but it's okay, Philip. I'm old and angry and I'll get even. <laughs> the year was 1967. The month was August. The day was the 25th. We had long been expecting our second child. You saw bread on the video. We were expecting our second child. And August the 25th, Jan went into extreme labor. And for hours on end, she was in labor, in delivery. But on that day of August the 25th, 1967, our second child was born. That child was a son. That child is sitting right there. There's a lot to be said that I don't have time to go into. But I stood, looked into an isolate where our second child was critically ill. We had dedicated that child before he was born. We dedicated that child after he was born. And I stood there 
not knowing if we would get really to take him home and dedicated him again. We celebrated, Jen and I did, our family there in Knoxville, Tennessee, we celebrated because we got to bring him home. And when we brought him home, we celebrated. Here we are five decades later, and Eric, your mom and I join your church family and celebrate who you are and that you're here. We're grateful. We're grateful. I want to ask the question, who is Eric Thomas? Who is he? And I want to answer real quickly because Philip took so much of my time. <laughs> Eric Thomas is, he's God's man. I want you to know that church. He's God's man. Uh, he was God's man because we dedicated him to be God's man before he was born. And over these years, we've seen God do great work in his life in developing him, not as being a perfect man, but being God's man. And church, you ought to know this. Churches sometimes have the propensity to look at their leader and just say, well, he's just a man. He is just a man, but he's God's man. Amen. It's important. It's important. He's not only God's man. I'm going to tell you something else. He's Edie's man. <laughs> His devotion to Edie and love for Edie. I mean, he's Edie's man. We're in the house and we see what's going on. And when Edie says to do something, Eric does it. <laughs> we could have used her a long time ago. <laughs> He's Edie's man. He's a family man. Watch him play with these kids here on the front row. Yeah, I mean, you're here. Some of you, you've been here with him all 20 years. And you're here. But what attention do you get when his grandchildren come in? He does have grandchildren. Y'all do know that, don't you? <laughs> He's a family man. He's a church man. He studies church life. He studies you. Philip mentioned that I had the privilege over a number of years of working with pastors globally around the world. And I would often reference him without telling them who he was and how that he and what he has learned about being a church man would be a benefit to them. He's a church man, studies church. He's a Bible man. 
when he was just a boy. We'd tell him, go to bed and turn the lights out. And like in a lot of other things, he didn't obey. <laughs> and we'd see the light on. What was he doing? Had his Bible open and his little notebook, making notes, just like an adult. Studying the Bible. He's a Bible man. And by the way, he's a pretty good fisherman. <laughs> Y'all did know that, didn't you? Who is Eric Thomas? That's just a snapshot. And when I think of Edie, I said, who's Edie? Who's Edie Lee? We had moved to Oklahoma. Eric had stayed in Beaumont. And we keep hearing about Edie. We go back down and there's Edie. Edie Lee Thomas. Who is Edie? Well, after all these years, we have an idea who Edie is. Don't ever doubt. Never miss. She's God's woman first. She's Eric's woman. And Eric is Edie's man. Eric, what are you doing, son? You got two cups of coffee. Oh, I'm taking one to eat. <laughs> Family. That's Edie. Church. That's Edie. You see, church, sometimes we see our leaders only in one perspective. But we need to see our leaders as people whom God has chosen to be our leaders and given them capacity and given them the heart to do it. Edie and Eric. And then you got these Jan's mother called the four daughters little flowers little flowers and when they came here they were little flowers three five seven and nine now you want to know how old they are now just add 20 years to it and you got it no problem <laughs> but you've invested in this family and you've seen these girls grow up and give testimony like they did on the screen. I, I, I'm just saying to you, church, it's time to celebrate what God has done here in these 20 years. It's time to celebrate. And here we are, we're celebrating who 
Eric and Edie and this family is. Oh, by the way, these grandchildren, do you know their names? Nora, have you heard that name? And Lucy. What a, what a, what a, what a privilege. And, and, and let me say this to you as a church. If I was preaching, I'd really be moving along, but I, I, I'm, I'm not preaching. I just want to talk to you. If I get into the preach, you'll recognize when I change gears. <laughs> but as a church, we, we're celebrating Eric and Edie Thomas and their family. We're celebrating them. But let me also say we're celebrating what God has done in the First Baptist Church of Norfolk, Virginia over these past 20 years. Over 2,000 people. They've transferred their trust to Christ and made it known. And their destination ticket, you know, when you get on a, you get on a train, you, you're given a ticket. Get on an airplane, you have to show you've got a boarding pass. Well, these 2,000-plus people their boarding pass has on its stamp now, their eternal destiny is heaven. It's changed. And, and churches, church plants, David Pottier, uh, David needs to get a little excited about something. <laughs> but 50 plus churches. In Asia, in Africa, in Europe, North America, South America, Central America, and Alaska. I know Alaska is not another country, but might as well be. <laughs> Planting churches. You, you see... Sometimes our inclination is to measure the church in a moment. But the church needs to be seen not in a moment, but in a season and over a span of time. And we need to remember that when there are over 2,000 people whose destiny has been radically changed and eternally changed, that's something to celebrate. And when you've got 50-plus new churches, that's something to celebrate. And when you touch continents all over this planet, I'm telling you, First Norfolk, that's something for you to celebrate. It's time, it's time to celebrate what has been done. Now, I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. Philip held up his hand. He's been trying to control me ever since I got here. <laughs> I know he thinks he's helping me, and he is. The first great festival looked back and said, you celebrate what God has done. But the second great festival is you are going to celebrate. Listen, listen to me. Don't miss this. You're going to celebrate what is to come. Not only what has been done, but what is to come. 
It's right to celebrate what has been done, but it's also, it's also invigorating to celebrate what is to come. What's going to happen? Yes, go ahead. What's going to happen? I'm going to give you three promises, and, and, and you can take these three promises and, and integrate them into your life for this church because these three promises gives you a confidence, a confidence that God's not finished yet. Y'all all right? Okay. Promise number one. Looking ahead, what, what is going to be done? Celebrate what God has done, but we're celebrating what is to come. First, it is this, the promise of his plan before you. The promise of his plan before you. Text Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, well-being, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Job 23. I, I, I love this. I've, Job, I mean, Job went through pure misery, folks. But he didn't say, oh, me, it's over, it's over. He didn't complain. He wasn't griping. He didn't have that disposition. Listen to what he said right in the middle of it. Job 23, verse 14. For he will complete. He will complete what he appoints for me. That's a statement of great faith. Job said, God's not finished with me, and he's going to complete what he has destined for me. Then Philippians, I love this, Philippians 1, 6, Paul said to the church at Philippi, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, God doesn't leave things halfway done. Are y'all all right? I might start preaching a little bit here. He doesn't leave things halfway done. We may quit on him, but he doesn't quit on us. And what I'm saying to you is you've got a 200 plus year history, but compare that to eternity and it's not a drop in the bucket. And you do not yet know what God has in plan for the First Baptist Church of Norfolk, Virginia. But God gives you leaders that have vision. And God gives you leaders with vision. And God gives the vision to the leader and the leader to the people. And here's what I want to say to you. When you have somebody that has a vision for the future, it may not fit the popular notions. It may not fit in with what has been. But when God gives a vision to a leader and the leader shares that vision with the church, let me tell you the wisest thing the church can do. 
The wisest thing the church can do is say that God's not finished with us yet. He's given us somebody that's got a vision, and we're going to follow and fulfill that vision because it's from God through our leader to our lives. If I was in our third son's church, he would call that a golf clap. <laughs> no, that's the kind of thing when, listen, God gives vision, vision. And when he gives a vision, it's a part of his plan that he's going to fulfill, and he stamped that vision with these words, I'm not finished. What's going to happen in the, I mean, who knew that in these five years, you're going to, the, the, the Department of Transportation in, in Virginia was going to do what they've done out here and, and, and just, you know, put in a freeway in your back door. Right? And who knew that in the midst of all that, here comes COVID, and, and, and we're told to shut everything down. Who knew? God. Thank God woke up and said, whoa, look what the Department of Transportation done. I'm so shocked. And wherever this flu came from, I don't know where it came from, but wherever it came from, God wasn't surprised when it happened. And what I'm saying to you is this, it doesn't matter what has been when you compare it to what can be. And God has a right, great future. 2,000 been baptized in the, in the past 20 years. Well, why don't you just say, well, we might just baptize 4,000 in the next wedding. Huh? Here it is. He has a plan in front of you, and you follow it. Secondly, promise. Not only does God have a plan for your future in front of you, but God has a promise of his presence with us. Have you ever felt alone? I experienced that very, very early in my life. My dad took me squirrel hunting. And he said, I'm going to go over here. And he set me down right beside a tree that had fallen. I'll be back in a few minutes, son. I'm going this way. Well, he hadn't been out. I mean, he hadn't been out of sight. Two minutes. The cloud just got black. Thunder began to roll, and it began to rain. And I'm sitting there up against that tree in that, thinking, where's my dad? And he wasn't gone very long, but it seemed like to me he was gone forever. And I became very anxious. Where's dad? I'm here alone in this storm. And one of those thunders ringing is going to bring lightning, and that lightning is going to strike me. And if it doesn't, there'll be a monster come out of that dark sky and get me. I know that's going to happen, and I got anxious, and I got scared. And when we are feeling alone, doesn't anxiety rise? 
Doesn't fear come? Don't we begin to have a sense of hopelessness? And I'm sitting there and that rain's coming down. That sky is black. The thunder is rolling. And this little boy is scared to death until, until on the top of the ridge, I saw a figure and it was my dad. And when I saw my dad, I want you to know everything in my emotions changed in just a moment. Here's what I want to tell you. When you're feeling alone and those kind of emotions begin to take over, I want to tell you what you need to remember, that God is with you. The nation of Israel one time, they felt like God had totally abandoned them. They felt like he was gone. He was no longer with them. And here's what they said. They said, listen to their cry. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. I am alone. And my Lord has forgotten me. Israel felt so alone. They were not alone, but they felt alone. They felt alone. And in that sense of aloneness, God steps in. And here's his word. I want you to listen to his word. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Can a woman not have compassion on the son of her womb? Women may forget. That's what the, that's what the text says. They may forget as irrational and as strange as that may be. They may forget. Yet, says God, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe you feel like you're on a pathway by yourself. But listen, yet, God says, I will not forget you. I've inscribed your name on the palm of my hand. Your name is written on the palm of God's hand. Is he going to forget you? No. Is he going to abandon you? No. Are you ever going to be alone? No. As the old hymn sings, never alone? No, never alone. The promise that you have as individuals we have as believers and that you have as a church is this that God will never leave you. Jesus is getting ready to depart his followers, and he looks at them and he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. I'm with you. Here's what I want to say to First Baptist Church in Norfolk. Eric and Edie, and to those of you who are leading, understand this. You are not alone. God's given a vision. He comes alongside and he says, you're not going to do this by yourself. I'm with you. I'm in it. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Promise one is God has a plan before you. Promise two is God is with you in the pursuit of that promise with his presence. Finally, you know, when preachers say finally, it means you might as well get ready for another 15 minutes. <laughs> but that's not going to be true here. Third, God's plan before you, God's presence with you. 
Are you ready? If you're ready, say I am. I am. Hey, you really are. <laughs> Promise number three, God's power within you. Now the power, the word dunamis, some have said, well, it's like dynamite. Well, sort of, kind of, maybe. But it's really different than that. Dunamis is talking about a capacity that you do not naturally have. That's what it is. Acts 1.8 says you will receive power, capacity, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll fulfill my purpose for you because you have a capacity that is beyond what you could do by yourself. Listen, 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 church. What God wants to do with, in, and through the First Baptist Church of Norfolk, you cannot do, but he can do. Great passage. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all. Are, are, you, are you following me? If you're following me, say, I, I am. Okay. Above all, he said, that we could what? Ask or imagine. He, 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 celebrate what's going to come. Celebrate what God's plan is. Celebrate God's presence and celebrate that God gives you a capacity you do not naturally possess. Three promises. Promise of his plan. Promise of his presence and the promise of his power. I'd say it's time to celebrate. One, one, one final celebration. In that parable, three parables in one, Jesus said, there's joy in heaven when one person steps across the line of faith, transfers their trust to Jesus, and allows him to put on their ticket destiny heaven. I want to ask you, have you come today in all of heaven all of heaven is leaning over the rail looking and saying, is this the day? Is this the day? Is this the moment? We're ready to celebrate. We're ready. We're eager to celebrate. Will you transfer your trust to Jesus and give us cause 
to celebrate. You came to celebrate the 20th year anniversary of pastor and people. That's great. But perhaps the step that you need to take and all of heaven is eager for you to take is a step where you put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads, please? If you're that person who would today, this minute, say, I'm the person that's come who needs to step across the line of faith. I'm the person that God has orchestrated me being here to do that. And I want to do that. Here's all you need to do. Out of your heart to God's ear. Is to acknowledge your need. Your need of Jesus. Who forgives all of our sin. Lives within us to never leave us nor forsake us. Give us the capacity to do what he has planned for us in our lives. If that's you, right where you are, would you just pray this simple prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the one who can change my eternal destiny. And make me aware of your presence and give me the capacity right where I am and where I'll be tomorrow in the days ahead to fulfill your purpose, your plan for me. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.